HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoor Podcast, where you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight, because here we go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another freezing cold edition of the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast. I'm looking out my window right now, and just everything I see is covered in ice. The grass, the fence, the trees, everything. It's freezing cold. I have yet to take a single step outside today. Um, I just don't want to. It's just cold and nasty. Uh, My wife and I have pretty much locked ourselves inside, and we've been watching the Jason Bourne movies. And so that's pretty much our plan uh, for this freeze to just kind of ride it out, relax. Um, we've both been working a little bit from home, but, uh, trying to just relax and enjoy some time together at the same time. So, uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening to this here podcast. Um, I'm going to ramble here for a little bit, uh, just catch you guys up with what's going on in my life. Um, still been shooting the trad bow quite a bit, feeling pretty good about it. I'm, um, I'd say 10 yards is pretty much, you know, dialed now. I've been moving back and shooting a lot more at 15 and even back to 20. And I've kind of made 20 yards my goal for the year. You know, by the time hunting season comes around, I want to feel very confident at 20 yards. Right now, I'd say I'm shooting about a about a 10-inch group at 20, which, you know, doesn't sound great. But I feel like that's not terrible either. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of time before the season gets here to, to shrink that down. So still shooting the trad bow quite a bit. It's, uh, man, it's just, it's different. It's a way more challenging. Um, the muscle memory it takes, uh, you, you just, you have to practice so much more. Um, but I love it. I'm really loving it. Uh, I'm sticking with it. And so the trad bow's not going anywhere and feeling pretty good about it. In fact, this coming weekend, I, uh, I think I'm going to go ahead and fire up one of our feeders, try to get some hogs coming in, uh, kind of get, you know, just a nice controlled environment and uh, try to kill a hog with it, um, you know, in the next month or two, something like that. So I uh, got to do some setup, uh, you know, probably going to just, like I said, use a feeder just because, you know, I want a nice, uh, clean shot, um, nice still target and everything. Um, I do need to do some work because I don't know if I have a spot at any of my feeders where I just have the room and mobility to shoot a traditional bow, a long bow. Um, so we're going to have to play around with that, but you know, that's just part of the fun for me. And so pretty excited about that. What else? Uh, this coming weekend, man, I got a lot, I got more things planned than I have time for. Uh, I really want to do some habitat work. Uh, the stuff that I talked to Adam Keith with a few weeks ago, definitely going to be firing up the chainsaw and doing some work on that. I've been trying to kind of prioritize what I want to do within that. Um, you know, like I said, chainsaw is definitely going to come into play. Um, I really liked his idea of a water hole in that uh, spot back there. 
but that's not necessarily pressing. You know, I think I got a lot of time to do that. And so I think the, the chainsaw work is a lot more pressing and just trying to kind of figure out where all I want to do it. Um, you know, which ones I need to prioritize. So, um, you know, as I've been sitting here stuck inside, I've been doing a lot of just Google Earth and on, on X and just kind of trying to draw out my areas, figure out which ones would be the most beneficial, you know, which ones I could wait on if I needed to. So I've been going over a lot of that type of stuff. Also trying to decide if I want to do any shed hunting. It's it's getting close to that time. You know, we're at the end of February now. That's kind of when I start thinking about it. Uh, but I just, a lot of our bucks tend to normally hold into March. And so I don't want to go tramping through all these places if it's, you know, not ready for it. And so uh, trying to kind of figure that out. I'll probably go around and look in some easy spots, you know, food plots and stuff like that and do a little bit of looking. But probably not any real hardcore shedding, shed hunting just yet. And uh, as you guys know, I'm terrible at shed hunting anyway, so I don't know how much time I want to spend on it. But, uh, but yeah, want to do some shed hunting. And I'm also dying, absolutely dying to do some fishing. I know we talked about that last week. Um, th- this weather is not necessarily optimal for that. Um, I think it's going to warm up a little bit this weekend, but... Man, it's still gonna be, still gonna be pretty cold. I think there's like a fifty to sixty percent chance of rain on Saturday, and again, I just have so many other projects that I probably need to prioritize in front of fishing. But who knows? Got uh, got a, a pretty much an open weekend, and so maybe I'll get to all of it. Maybe I won't. But uh, yeah, that's what I'm trying to get to. I've also thought about just maybe trying to do some pond fishing. We have you know several stock tanks and ponds on our place for the cattle. Um, one or two of them we've heard from people that, you know, back in the day they were really good fishing. Um, I've tried a little bit in a couple of them and I've never caught a single fish. Um, I've had, we've let other people go and try their luck and nobody's really caught anything. And so I think I'm going to try to fish in a couple of them that, you know, maybe have a little bit more potential. And then I've talked to my brother about, uh, you know, picking one or two of them. Uh, now that we have, we have a water trough system now for the cattle. And so these ponds are kind of back up now. Um, we've thought about maybe trying to drain one or two of them and, uh, you know, just in case there are any trash fish, you know, almost all of them we've seen like mud cats in just something, you know, stuff that we don't really want in there. And so I've talked to my brother about possibly draining one or two of them, kind of cleaning them out a little bit and starting from scratch. And so, but before we do that, you know, just in case I do want to try to do a little bit more fishing cause I haven't tried that hard, uh, just to make sure, you know, we're not wasting a good thing. And so, so who knows, might do some of that. Like I said, habitat's probably first, a little bit of shed hunting. I'd love to do some fishing, but I just, I just don't know. So, so that's my plan for the weekend. I'm pretty excited about it. I'm hoping it warms up. Um, and yeah, just, I hope you guys are being safe out there. I saw so many wrecks when I was coming home yesterday. Uh, my boss and I both quit early, um, about, I don't know, 10 o'clock. So we ran around, did a few things. Um, and then on the way home, I helped a guy who had, uh, turned sideways on a bridge and hit his front bumper. My boss actually had to drag a guy out of his car. His car or his truck was upside down. Um, so yeah, I hope you guys are being safe out there. Stay off the roads if possible. Uh, watch the Jason Bourne movies like I'm doing. It's, you know, a way better, uh, way better thing to do than being out on the roads. So, so yeah, that's pretty much going to wrap up my intro for this week. Uh, this week we have a really, really cool podcast, guys. I hope you all are excited for this. I talked to Mackenzie Sims, and for those of you who don't know Mackenzie, he's a, he has a pretty big social media presence, and uh, he has just been fortunate enough to hunt all over the world. Um, he, you name it, he's probably taken it. Uh, he's been to Africa multiple, multiple times, Asia, Russia, uh, I mean, Pakistan, like you name it, he's been there. 
and uh, and just he has a passion for kind of sharing those adventures with people, not only sharing them, but trying to get others to realize that they can go on those adventures too. Um, and so he he actually started a company to help people out with that. He has a lot of really cool tips. So if you've ever dreamed of going to Africa or uh, you know some crazy sheep hunt. You name it, this guy's probably done it, and he can probably help you live those dreams out. And so, like I said, he's very passionate about it, very informative about it, and a lot of these hunts are way more doable than a lot of people realize. And uh, I didn't realize it until I started following him on social media, and he really goes into details on this podcast. Um, and then not only that, he also gives some tips just for you know traveling to these other countries, uh, traveling with a gun or bow, uh, tips, tricks, uh, places to look at. Uh, and just all around, like I said, a great conversation. So, like I said, this week uh, we're talking about international hunting with Mackenzie Sims of Hunter's Hub. Hey, everybody! Welcome to the show today. And today I'm talking to Mackenzie Sims. How are you doing, Mackenzie? Good. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. And uh, uh, man, I'm very excited about this episode. I was telling you before we started recording. You know, I've talked to biologist i've talked to hunting guides fishing guides but what we're talking about today is kind of completely out of my wheelhouse and something that i don't have very much experience with or really any experience with uh so i'm pretty excited about it and uh, i hope you're excited to, to talk about it and tell us about it but real quick before we jump off uh why don't you just give tell everybody who you are and uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself all right. Uh, well, my name is Mackenzie Sims. I'm from Evanston, Wyoming. Uh, going to be 26 in like a couple of days here. So I feel like I'm getting older by the minute. Um, but yeah, I kind of just grew up out here in the West and first thing, you know, first obviously grew up hunting, you know, meal deer, elk, antelope. Um, first hunting camp I went to, I was born in February of 1996, I believe. And then the first hunting camp I went to is that October. So I've been doing it ever since I was born. Um, grew up in, uh, the oil and gas industry out here when it was super booming and then started a few of my own other jobs. I owned a gym at one point in time, just sold that. Um, have a few other companies going on. I have Hunter, my company called Hunter Sub, which kind of deals in the international hunting aspect of things. Um, and then I've had a few other small things like some clothing companies and whatnot on the side. So yeah, just living out here in Wyoming. Um, it was negative uh, 18 this morning <laughs> and so just chilling and waiting to get on a podcast. Yeah, pretty excited for this. <laughs> Man, it's it's not that quite not quite that cold, but I did get off early today because it's sleeting and nasty here. I think it was uh, it's about twenty two right now, which you know for down here is pretty cold. And uh, I think I just saw a picture of a, a light little dusting of snow in Oklahoma City this morning, and so uh, definitely not negative eighteen, but <laughs> definitely not pleasant either. So, um, so yeah, yeah. Well, you guys have a little bit. Different. Cold, right it's like we more of a, is it a humid cold where you are is it dry? it is okay, yeah. yeah no that's it's a little more humid so. like zero here yeah 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 um so yeah but uh man y'all can keep that negative stuff up there we don't want any of that <laughs> uh yeah well cool I'm man. Ready. Uh, sweet. Well, uh, yeah, thanks for your little introduction there. Sounds like you are quite knowledgeable in this stuff. And so, uh, kind of like I told you before, you know, I'm going to almost let you run the show a little bit, but I got a few, few questions here, uh, just kind of keep us on track. And so, um, you know, with all these international hunts and stuff, I guess my first kind of somewhat broad question is, in your opinion, what, what just kind of keeps people from thinking they can go on an international hunt? Oh, that's easy, man. So there's, to me, it's all 
a, a knowledge-based thing, mm-hmm. but there's three things. It's cost. There's one. Um, cost is kind of all about like travel costs, animal costs, um, and then obviously time away from work. It's like a lot of people think it takes a lot more time to do some of these hunts. And then one that I've just been answering today a lot is requirements nowadays for like vaccinations yeah. and stuff. That's kind of a big one. It was a topic before all this happened mm-hmm. because there is other, you know, things you have to have in other parts of Africa, but those are like the three top things. Um, the first one I say is number one is cost and then time wise. And then obviously the, a lot of people think, you know, these vaccinations and stuff are actually required, which they're not. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, one thing, you know, obviously the main one that stuck out to me was always the cost. And, uh, yeah, I've been following you on social media for a while and I don't know when it was a year or two ago. I remember you did kind of a, a cost breakdown and, um, you compared, you know, like some of the more affordable African hunts to some of the, you know, higher end Western United States hunts. And I was pretty blown away at, you know, some of the comparisons and like how it was, it was basically more affordable to go to Africa than it was to go shoot a trophy elk, you know, somewhere out West. Um, and so I, I'm, yeah. I'm going to let you speak to that too. Uh, and I mean, obviously we don't need specific numbers or anything, but, uh, I guess just share your knowledge with that. Okay. Well, I'll do a few like numbers here because like nowadays, like I get a lot of people that laugh me. Okay. I want to come hunt like 180 inch mule deer. And they always ask me in August when the season starts in September and October. And it's like, okay guys, it's not doable for that kind of, like you can go to a place and get lucky, mm-hmm. but the areas that you're going to be hunting 180 plus type deer, um, they're, I've got one of our outfitters right now, their prices for 2022 and moving forward are 325. Mm-hmm. That's $32,500 for a mule deer hunt for bucks 180 and above. Um, so to me, a 180 inch mule deer is you're looking at 20 plus and for a three, I'd say 360 bull, you're looking, you know, at 30 plus to have like, to be legitimately looking for bulls in that caliber, passing bulls in that caliber, not just getting lucky somewhere and turning one up. Mm. Um, so that's a, that's a big thing that people don't realize less North American prices have just skyrocketed in the past, like three years. Mm-hmm. three or four years they've been going up but the last three or four years they've just expanded incredibly mm-hmm. um so when you look at africa you take that twenty thousand that you're going to be putting towards a, a mule hunt in a high quality area to where it's still you're you know you're hunting one animal and you still might not get you know a buck of the caliber you want or you might not shoot a buck at all um you can take that 20 grand and go to africa and i mean have a ball you could take 20 grand go to africa if you plan if you if you want to spend just 20 grand on a safari, you could do your flights, you could do your taxonomy back here in the States, shipping of your taxonomy, and you could probably, depending on how you mounted everything, you could probably shoot five to seven species and have 20 grand and have that whole whole mm-hmm. safari paid for with travel and taxonomy included. Um, and then also, if you you know you look at some of the stuff like in um, Russia, they have a bunch of stuff. They have two tur. You got the mid-Caucasian and the Cuban tur. Um in Russia and the uh, Caucasus the Shamoff, you can do that for about 27 right now. And then that's not including your flights and stuff. So, I mean, you can go do three species in, you know, a Asia or Europe country for the cost of a big mule deer hunt, you know, as far as that goes, or you can go do the mid Asian Ibex hunts. And there, you know, some of my guys right now are charging 8,500 bucks for those. Really? Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Gotcha. Gotcha. There's so, there's so much, I start like just wanting to dive into it all, but Africa to me is your best bang for your buck. It's 
buck as far as um, the accommodations, the experience, and the, the amount of species you'll be able to hunt. Like I said, you could do a mid-Asian ibex for, you know, 8,000 to 10,000. There's some other options for some different ibex species that are between 10 and 15. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a one-species hunt like the diehard mount hunters and that, those are pretty affordable because i mean look at sheep hunts here in north america now mm-hmm. they're getting ridiculously expensive so you could go do that but africa is your best thing for your buck as far as having like a, a full-on experience you know most of the time there's always an observer included into those packages in africa so your wife your girlfriend maybe a, a buddy wants to just go hang out um you know or your brother your parents want to go sometimes the observer can shoot one or two species and not have to pay like the actual day rates for a hunter those charges the trophy fees which is always really nice um africa outfitters are always willing to work with you more when you get over there mm-hmm. that's just kind of how I, what i've learned that especially in like south africa and namibia you know the places that you're not paying the government fees that it's going to be like once you get over there the prices can change for you because you know they might have you might be at towards the end of the season. They don't got any hunters coming and they want to take a few of these animals out. You know, they want to do some culling or something. So that way you can get some more bang for your buck while you're there too. So it's all about kind of just planning, making sure you're going with the right people, but you can get a, a hell of a deal in South Africa. Hmm. Interesting. Do you have uh, and again, I'm kind of spitfiring here. Like, are there certain parts of Africa that are better or worse as far as game wise. I mean, I know Africa is a huge continent, um, but for somebody like me who has zero experience, like is, uh, is it like a dream of somebody to go to South Africa as opposed to, you know, Eastern Africa or anything like that? Um, so that's what, okay. So the best place in all, you know, like all of Africa is Tanzania, mm-hmm. like the abundance of animals in Tanzania, Uganda is the same way. Um, the problem is those are more expensive areas because it's all 100% wild. Like you're hunting like wilderness, mm-hmm. like you become Wyoming and hunt wilderness. Mm-hmm. So when you go there, they have government daily fees that mm-hmm. the, the outfitter doesn't make any money off this. This is like the government's charging you X to come there. And then like on some of the higher end animals, you know, when you do the big five stuff, um, leopard, lion, and elephant and stuff like that, they're required as 14 and 21 days. So you're required to pay the daily fees for that no matter what mm. um even if you only hunt 10 but if you want to have those on license you got to pay for the 21 or 14 day license mm. so cost effective wise namibia and south africa are the best but all i'm telling you this any place you go in africa that is well managed um with anti-poaching and stuff like that or the the properties are nice and the game reserves are nice you will go there and you will see more animals in one day than you will on 99.9% of the hunts here in North America. Hmm. The 1% I'd say is duck hunts because you'll see a ton of ducks. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> but big game-wise, you're, you're talking pretty good. Pretty good odds, huh? Yeah, the odds are unreal. because I, So we went and hunted a place in Namibia. It's called the Caprivi Strip, and it's 100% wild, free-range in Africa. Um, we went there in 2016, and on any given day, we'd see between 500 and 600 elephants. Golly, that's incredible. Mm. It's unreal. Like, it's, yeah. And then Buffalo, you'd see, you know, hundreds, several hundred K Buffalo. You'd see a lot of the Plains game. Like, it, we've seen um, a leopard killed a cootie right in front of our camp coming back one night. Um, in Zambia, we've seen lions and leopards in the daylight um, eating on kills. And then, you know, it's just like those areas that are well-maintained with um, good anti-poaching teams. Mm-hmm. Like, it's unreal. You go there and you'll see it's every day is a new day in Africa. You'll see different stuff every day. And it's just 
probably one of the most amazing experiences you can have. And that's why I said, like, a lot of places give you observers for free in South Africa and Namibia mm-hmm. in those packages. I mean, obviously, you're paying for it, but they're included. It's a great place for families to go to and experience because, you know, not hiking a whole lot, you know, especially for, like, first-time hunters and first-time families going, like, it's a good, like, getting your feet wet in the hunting community because, one, the game of redundancy is there, and it's not physically exerting, like, you know, doing these mule deer hunts here in Utah, Colorado, Wyoming, Nevada, stuff like that. Yeah. This is a little bit off topic, but uh, not necessarily off topic. Not not what you know where I was planning to go, but real quick, just because again, this is kind of for I feel like for a lot of the the listeners, you know, Africa is probably something they've dreamed about for a long time, probably never got to experience. Uh, walk us through just like an average day of hunting Africa, like you know, kind of sun up to sundown, like um, you know. Do, do most of these places like do they feed you a meal in the morning you know how do you go out and find game just walk us through your average hunting day okay so we'll kind of base it off of the south africa and the maybe one because that's kind of the more cost effective areas that we'll kind of pinpoint more for sure so normally in south africa or namibia you'll get up um you'll probably get up you know right as the sun's coming up or maybe a little bit before every place that i've been you go have uh, a really nice breakfast you know, you can, if you don't like breakfast, you tell them, hey, I'm not going to eat breakfast. I'll have something lighter. They kind of, they cater it 100% to you. They'll send you a list before you get there on what you want, what you don't like, um, any allergies and stuff like that. So when you're there, if you like breakfast, if you like a big breakfast, they will make you a big breakfast. And it is delicious food. It's like amazing food. So you'll eat, um, you'll get ready, you'll gather at the hunting truck, you'll get the trackers, you'll get everyone on board, and then you'll take off. And it always depends on what species you're looking for. But when you're playing game hunting, you spend a lot of time just cruising the the areas and just kind of looking and seeing what you see. If you're hunting, you know, Impala and you want to, you know, you're driving and you see a good ram, usually what they'll do is they'll drive past the animal. Um, you'll get off the truck, you'll walk back, and if it's still there, you'll take the shot. Or if it, if it buggered off, in the meanwhile, you'll get the trackers. You know, those guys in Africa, the trackers there, they are some of the most amazing people to watch work. And so they will pick up that one Impala track out of 500 tracks on the ground right there, and they'll follow it, and you'll be able to take it. Um, sometimes you'll have lunches in the bush, or you'll go back to camp and have them. There's always a cool box on the truck, which is a cooler. They call it a cool box um, that has snacks and drinks in it as well. So it's a, like a five-star accommodation, five-star food all the way around. Like you're never going to be hungry. You're probably not going to lose weight. <laughs> um, and then at night, you'll, um, sometimes you'll have sundowners out in the field. Um, if you like to have beer or whiskey or champagne, you might have one of those out in the field as the sun is setting. And then you'll drive back to camp, um, have sit around the fire, um, which they do a braai, which is like a barbecue for us. Um, so they cook a lot on the braai, which is amazing. They cook a lot of wild games. So while you're in Africa, you will eat, you'll eat everything you shoot and you'll eat stuff from the previous um, hunters in camp. It's it's unreal. The meat there is extremely great. Kudu, Elan, um, the reed bucks, all that is the phenomenal food. I've had zebra. Like it's all top quality food over there, and they take care of you real well. Um, laundry is done every day, if not every other day in Africa. Um, so you don't have to pack your whole closet. I usually just take um, two pairs of hunting pants and a pair of travel pants that I usually take. Like I wear solids instead of camos, so I wear like a solid pair of hunting pants 
to fly in. So that way I have an extra pair in case a bag gets lost or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't need to pack your whole closet. And then in the, some parts of Africa, you ha- you're intended to camp and it's nice canvas wall tent. And it, you know, it puts the shame any wall tent camp here in North America. Mm-hmm. And you'll get to get to your room at night and they'll have a hot water bottle in your bed for you to warm you up. Um, it's just the experience is un, unmatchable and unbeatable that you have the time around the campfire with your pHs is something that you cannot like I cannot sit here and explain it to you that the amount of time you spend at the fire with your pH at night talking about hunting talking about the day's hunt talking about tomorrow's hunt like the amazing experiences you have on it in Africa are tenfold the actual hunt itself hmm. Hmm. that's awesome that's awesome Oh man, my my mind's wandering so many directions. Like I said, <laughs> this is awesome. Um, so, uh, and we can kind of stick to Africa on this question too. But uh, talk about uh, just the travel. You know, traveling with a firearm, the paperwork, and everything that goes into it. Uh, how is all that taken care of? So what I do is I use a company out of Texas. It's called Travel with Guns, and I use Patrick Wright, and I've used him for a long time. So depending on the place, you you know, depending on the countries and kind of whatever you go to, there's different rules and different regulations. And um, depending on the airlines, you got to permit through certain airlines. But when I use Patrick to travel with guns, I literally say, like, we, we have to call tomorrow. we got to book some South Africa stuff that mixes in with Tanzania, that mixes in with Namibia, that mixes in with Hungary. Like, I'm bouncing around a bunch. And so he literally will line it up for me to where – it's all good to go. I just got to go get my 4457 form from the airport and I send that to them. They might want you need to sign some papers, they'll email them to me and it's all taken care of. Um, in a lot of places like South Africa, there's a company called blue ribbon bag that they use. So when you get there, you'll have someone meet you as soon as you get off the plane. Like you'll, they'll be waiting with a sign right off the jet bridge and they'll, you know, have your name on it and they will walk you through from point one to point two to point three all the way through and they'll handle everything for you because obviously there's going to be language barriers in these places mm-hmm. but this guy he'll speak english or the gal she'll speak english but she'll also speak afrikaans or swahili or any of these other languages that need to be spoke and they'll just walk you right through it it's so simple i've had more issues um with bags coming back from like canada and alaska <laughs> than i have on hunts in pakistan azerbaijan or africa Interesting. So it's super simple and super easy. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a little nerve-wracking the first time. <laughs> I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Um, what about any, like, uh, just kind of tips as far like, um, obviously, you know, you're going to put your gun in a nice hard case that's locked and all that for the airport. Um, what about, like, taking ammo and stuff, like, in your personal bags? Or do you, okay, so do, you put, actually... do you put ammo in your personal bag, or do you put it, like, how does that work? So this is what I do. I'll, we'll go over like archery first and then we'll do rifles. Okay. So what I do when it comes to traveling with a bow, um, I actually did a, like a reel on this yesterday because I traveled. I, I had a bow case that had no locking eyes on it and I traveled to Australia. And But instead of locking eyes, it had built-in TSA locks. Mm. And everyone always asks me this common question, do you use a TSA lock? And I will, I will fight tooth and nail for this to never use a TSA lock because – I, I trusted this bow case and I was like, okay, there's no locking eyes. I'll just use these locks that are on it. Got to Australia, was waiting for my bow case to come out on the carousel. Bow case comes out and I look at it. I'm like, man, that looks a little funny. Well, 
they tapped the TSA locks out of it. So there was a hole in the bow case. Mm. So my bow case was completely wide open. My bow was in there, my broadheads, my everything was in this bow case. And it was unlockable. Even on the way back home, I couldn't lock it. So we had to buy like a bike lock to wrap around it to make sure it was locked. Um, so what I do is get a nice proper hard case. Um, SKB has one. And then that new Pelican has one. And then there's a new one that's out that's really cheap too. Not really cheap, but really affordable. Um, and they have, you know, four to six locking knives on it. What I do is I go to Walmart or any local grocery store and I buy the combination locks that you use like during school for like your gym locker mm-hmm. and, uh, use those. So I put those on the case and with a bow, I put the bow in the case. And usually since my arrows, your arrows are long and I have like a little, um, a lot of people use a fly rod case, um, for arrows or I use like a, it's just like a it's legit arrow case, but I use that and I leave it in my bow case with everything. Or if I have a, a check bag big enough, I'll put it in there. Um, but either or works. They don't really care just as long as you don't have your broad heads and all that screwed on. And, mm-hmm. you know, your bow is, you know, pretty much self-explanatory that nothing's in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it comes to rifles, this is what I do. Um, you can travel with your ammo in the same case, but... When you get to some of these countries and you open up your rifle case and you got ammo in there too, to me, like in some of these places, that draws like a red flag. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I never put my ammo in the same – I don't ever have it in my gun case. I'll get like a little box from like Murdoch's or Cabela's. Like it's a little ammo box, a little plastic ammo box, and I will put a TSA lock on this, and I'll put it in my um, like clothing bag. Mm-hmm. And I'll put my ammo in that and have my rifle separate, bolt out, all that good stuff in the gun case and but never use tsa locks on your on your gun or your bow case never do that because you'll get over to some place you know you i've had buddies that have had their turrets twisted all the way around because they did have tsa locks on their case mm. i've had buddies show up and their rifle wasn't in the case mm. and like it's just a mess never put tsa locks on it and the, the, the weird thing is is most of that stuff does happen here in the states it doesn't happen when it gets to other countries mm. unless you're like in some of the youth countries where they're really like kind of anti-hunting and anti-guns um but normally in africa like when they see a rifle case come on those the people at the at the airports they're like yep this dude's hunting he's bringing money into our economy he's a good dude like they they really appreciate hunters in those countries same as pakistan like those places really appreciate us coming and hunting there because it gives good value to those places especially like pakistan where it has like a bad light on it mm-hmm. is like the people love it people come there to have fun yeah gotcha Gotcha. Sweet, man. You covered that great. That was really good. Uh, Let's flip it around and then coming back home. So let's talk about, like, you know, getting your trophies home, meat, anything like that. Uh, What's the best way to get all that stuff back to you? Okay, so Africa, you cannot bring any of the meat back. That's Mm. And that's not Africa's fault. That is America. Uh, You know, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife will not allow you to bring that stuff back, the meat. Mm -hmm. Um, So New Zealand... Um, I don't know because New Zealand's not open yet. When it does open up, prior to it closing down, you could actually bring red stag and fallow deer back. So when I went there last time, I loaded up um, just just a, I literally we we flash froze some meat mm-hmm. and I just put it in a bag, a big duffel bag, and flew home with it. And by the time I got back to Evanston, I mean it was still frozen. It was just you could just barely start to feel that it was defrosting a little bit and put it in the fridge and you're good. But when it comes to trophies, to be able to ship them back into the U.S., the, the hides have to be salted. They have to be—they're like a brick. You know, they're—they're they're cleaned 100% and salted. 
And then when it comes to like your skulls and all that, they have to be completely clean. So like pretty much a European mount before, you know, before it leaves Africa or New Zealand or Asia, they're pretty much a European mount. Um, if they don't cut the skull cap off, they have to be clean or the U.S. Fish and Wildlife will deny it and actually take your trophies from you. And so what I do is I use a company called DNL. They're a broker. Um, it's two ladies and they're out of, uh, I believe, Chicago. And what they do is they handle all my import and export permits. And what they do is they deal with the local taxidermists. They deal with everybody, make sure everything's right, especially when you're hunting things that are on a CITES permit basis, like a Marco Polo sheep. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to make sure your paperwork is in line there and you have all the permits and whatnot. But, like, I just got done with that safari in South Africa in um, November. I'm pulling up an email real quick. I'll, I'll give you the price mm-hmm. of what that's going to cost me to sh- all these animals back. That way you guys have an actual number to, to go off of. Yeah. Um, and these are, like, just salted skins. They're not um, – you know, they're not tanned. Nothing's mounted because I don't mount anything um, in Africa. We did a few times, and it's just they're not this, the quality control is not the same as here mm-hmm. in North America. And plus, if you have a good taxonomist that you like to use, I highly recommend you use him or her. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to pull this email up because that one I should have had pulled up for you. Because it's really interesting. I flew back from New Zealand, and then I had a life-size red stag cape, um, European red stag horns and then a life-size tar cape and just the skull cap of a tar and it cost me 800 bucks to ship that back hmm. um so it's, it's really not super expensive and most of the time um if you if you don't like rush the, the shipment back to you you'll have some time to actually you know save up for the shipping of stuff back to you as well gotcha that makes sense yeah uh a, a buddy of mine went to africa maybe three years ago and uh i want to say it was like a 14, 14 months or something before, you know, all the stuff got back to him. Yep. And so, yeah, you could almost, yeah. almost recover from the trip a little bit and then, and then have to deal with that mess. Well, which is nice too, because mm-hmm. people keep, you know, like every time I get a question, people think it's like, bam, bam, bam. You're just getting hit with charges, mm-hmm. you know, back and forth. But a lot of the time, like you're saying, it takes some time because one, you know, they already have a list of people in front of you that they got to make sure, mm-hmm. you know, everything's taken properly care of because, like I said, if your stuff shows up to U.S. Fish and Wildlife and there's bugs and there's meat, they will, like, confiscate it and you won't get any of that back. Mm. So they – and they know that that's bad for them when they're shipping it to you because that puts a bad, you know, rep on them. Mm. So they want to make sure everything is taken care of for you. Mm. And you don't really want to rush that type of stuff because then usually when you rush that type of stuff, it just – it never turns out that good. Yeah. I'm still trying to find this email here. It's probably in a different email box. <laughs> but I'll, I, I'll find it. I'll let you know. Okay. All right. Um, we can go on to the question. <laughs> okay. Not a problem. Not a problem. Um, so we've talked about Africa quite a bit. Um, this is uh, kind of a two-part question, but um, first, I guess, just what are like what are some other – you know, dream hunt type destinations people should be looking at that are, you know, still fairly affordable. You know, like you mentioned, you mentioned the, uh, the Ibex hunts and stuff like that. Um, what are some more, uh, hunts that, you know, maybe not on the forefront of people's minds, but hunts that people should definitely be looking into. Okay. So yeah, there's, there's actually quite a few different things that you can do. So there's, you know, like I said, you can go do some Ibex in Kyrgyzstan. You can do them in Tajikistan. You can actually do them in Russia. Um, 
like there's some really affordable ones like right here i'm looking at one that my buddy sent me some stuff over so it's called the sayan ibex and so it's actually being reclassified as a sand because it used to be called the altai but they've drawn the line or whatever to classify them differently mm -hmm. and you can go do that hunt for 10-5 without you know without travel and all that included that's just the hunt itself is 10-5 and then you can go do the with the same my same buddy here you can go do a mid-asian ibex for 8900 mm -hmm. um and then obviously like i talked about the turs they're probably some of the most underrated especially the dagestan tur you can do that in between i would say 9 and 13 depending on the outfit you go with um you can do that one and that's probably those mountains are probably the steepest mountains you'll ever hunt and it's more bang for your buck if you're like a, a sheep hunter that wants to go do something other than like an odd ed hunt um, in the more affordable realm, because like a Dagestan tur, it's in Azerbaijan or in Russia. I preferred hunting Azerbaijan because it was just another experience, another place to go. Um, so I went to Azerbaijan, did it, and it was the coolest thing ever. We did it um, in the middle of summer. So it was, you know, everything was at the very top of the mountains. We rode horses in and you ride a horse and it's the saddle that you're on is pretty much just a pack saddle because you have stuff packed underneath you while you're riding and it's just amazing thing we took two live chickens up the mountains with us and <laughs> had fresh chicken noodle soup we had watermelons because there was kids on the side of the road selling watermelons like it's an unreal experience to go do that um and then another thing is doing like the the shamus of the world going and doing all the different chamois all over the place those are you know they're if a guy wants to have more bang for your buck, you know, some of those are fairly, fairly affordable and uh, like the experience of it. Cause you can go to France, you can go to all these different places, you know, and hunt a, a chamois. They're smaller. A lot of people think they're not as cool, but they're affordable. And the experience is kind of, to me is like, when you do these hunts, you're like going for more of the experience than the animal anyways, mm -hmm. you know, just cause it's like, you're going to, you're going to, to um, Italy. You can go all these places and actually hunt mm -hmm. And it's more of just getting out of, you know, the comfort zone of being in North America and hunting the same three or four states that you hunt your entire life. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Now, you keep uh, throwing all these countries out there. I've heard Russia a couple times, Pakistan, and several mid Middle Eastern countries. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this, including myself, just wondering about, like, the safety of it all. Like, you know, some people don't even know you can travel to Russia or the Middle East. Um have you ever felt like uncomfortable um, just with the people you're going through? Is it all, you know, pretty much just handled kind of before you get there? Talk about just traveling to these uh, kind of, I don't know what the word is, but just countries that, you know, most people think of as being dangerous. Yeah. Okay. So I'll talk about Pakistan. Cause that's like, obviously people think Pakistan is like, like no go, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I went there in 2017. So I was, I think I just barely turned 21 when I got on the plane together. I was at, I was, I was 21 for a day before I got on the plane. Mm -hmm. And so when I went there, I I am blonde with blue eyes, and I only have white or I'm sunburned. I'm I don't tan. <laughs> like so, I stick out in the crowd. I don't grow a beard. Mm -hmm. um, so when I got there, like you know, obviously I stick out with everybody. But when you get there, I mean, when you go through these companies. Like I said, like people know that when you're coming hunting, you're bringing like a good value to their country mm -hmm. because when we got there, like people were just friendly. It was like, it was like the best experience ever. So like we were driving and when you drive in Pakistan, there's no right lane, there's no left lane, there's no median. It's just every man, woman, chicken, dog for itself. Like you, like it's just a free for all on the road. And so when you're in these towns, you'll pull up and there will be 
three inches between your window and this other dude's window. And so several times people look over and like you just they get this like shocking look on their face like, oh, there's a white dude sitting next to me here. And then they look at you and then they smile and wave like they think it's the coolest thing ever because they 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 value people coming there and bringing money into their economy. And so we I never once have ever felt in danger on any of those places. Um, there's a few times I felt in danger driving in some of those places just because they don't have any like mm-hmm. rules on the road. So it's just like a free for all, but it's not like a, you know, a dangerous thing of being like, you know, terrorists or anything like that. It's just mm-hmm. like a, a cluster of driving everywhere. Yeah. Um, but so no, I, I thoroughly enjoyed going to those places, been to Turkey twice, Tajikistan, Azerbaijan, like I said, and I've never once felt in danger anywhere. And even in Pakistan. So we stayed at a hotel, when we got there um, in between two areas and it had been blown up twice. Mm. And then we stayed at another hotel at the end of the trip that had been blown up three times. Mm. But when you get to these hotels now, the security is unreal. Mm-hmm. Like, and obviously that was back when, you know, the war just started and everything was like, that was really dangerous over there when you know, obviously no one would go over there in the right mind. Mm. Um, but like the security there, they take good care of it. They make sure everything is properly taken care of. Um, when you're driving there, like you don't feel any danger. It's, it's a legit experience of like, you get there and you're kind of like, okay, how are people going to react? But once you realize these people are like grateful that you're there and they appreciate it and they, you know, there's no different. They, they want to be loved by everyone else. Mm-hmm. It's just an amazing thing to see because it, they, well, we took selfies with people. Like we got pulled over by the police cause they saw me in the car and they want to take a selfie with me. <laughs> like, because they're like, we don't see very many Americans, so we want to take a picture. You know, they don't know who I am. They don't know. They can realize I was hunting. We got my, my Punjab Uriel out in the middle of the street, and they're taking pictures holding my sheep while I'm standing there with them. Like, so they, they just love the experience of it themselves because, you know, more than likely they're never going to travel out of their country, you know, to come to America or somewhere. So when someone else shows up there, they're like, they want to be a part of it as well. Hmm. Gotcha. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, makes me feel a little better, for sure, for sure. So. Yeah, uh, so. I would, I would, I have, a, I have a buddy that's trying to set up a Iran trip right now mm-hmm. for next month, and I'd be able to go with him. I just got some work stuff going on, but either way, like Iran just opened back up for us to get our visas, uh-huh. and so like I would go to Iran in a heartbeat. Gotcha, <laughs> man. I, I think I would. I don't. My wife definitely would. I don't know if I would. She's a little more adventurous than I am, but. Uh, that's awesome. Though. <laughs> um, what about like, uh, what about just gear? Um, you know, you're, when you're going to these other countries, I imagine there's not a, you know, Cabela's or Academy and REI, you know, around every other corner. So, um, do you feel like you need to <laughs> no. bring like extra gear or do you just kind of buy quality gear and just make sure you take care of it? Um, uh, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, obviously like I, you know, I would say if you can afford it, buy the best gear you can, mm-hmm. um, just because, you know, in everything, it's it comes down to, you know, what if you pay, you know, you get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. That's what it comes down to in life. And so I say you should buy the best quality gear that you can get. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I go to like Africa, like I said, they do laundry every day or every other day. I don't take that much gear to Africa. Mm-hmm. And then I still don't take that much gear to like Asia or Europe countries, especially on those mountain hunts because it's like you're going to be packing that on your back in a lot of those you know situations mm-hmm. or you're you know traveling in a little car you don't have a lot of room like i'll ch- take 
the minimal gear as possible. And obviously, you know, you shower and stuff, but you're going to have some dirty clothes that you're going to wear for a few days, you know, in some of those remote areas. But I don't pack a lot of gear. I usually just take about, um, I usually take three or four pairs of socks and boxers, depending on the length of the trip. Um, in Africa, I tend to take less, especially because they do laundry. Um, but I'll take like that many pairs of boxers and socks, and then I'll take three pairs of hunting pants. One pair is one that I travel in, and two pairs to switch out throughout the time. And then I try to keep, you know, because you could pack, especially when you go to those places that are colder, you could pack your entire closet, mm-hmm. you know, just to stay warm. But I try to keep it minimal, and I'll wear the same clothes constantly, especially like in Tajikistan and some of those countries where you're hunting high elevation when it's super cold, because it's not worth it for you to be carrying or because especially one there's limitations on you know weight of your luggage when you're traveling and if you're over they either make you buy another bag and put it all in a you know split them up or they just make you pay over fees as well so then it costs you more money but if you're dragging around a heavy bag to the airport you know trying to make connections if you have to pick them up some places you do it just turns into like the trip gets more and more dragging by the time things go on so i take the minimum as possible but yet stay comfortable with it all. And like I said, take the best gear that you can afford and enjoy it because, you know, it's never good when you have so much stuff with you and you don't know, you know, what you're going to do with it all. You're trying to cram it on bags. It's just, and then obviously when you get places and you don't have enough gear, it's frustrating too. But it's one of those things, trial and error on these trips um, really is what's caused it all for me to be able to know, okay, I'm taking this and that. So if you're going to plan like a first time trip to somewhere, you know, one, ask the outfitter because they usually have a really good gear list for you. And two, call references on the list that the outfitter provides for you because they'll be able to tell you, oh man, I took way too much of this or I didn't take enough of this. Like ask the people that went with 40 to kind of based on what you're going to take. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very good answer. All right. I like it. I like it. Uh, man, I'm trying to sit here and think if there's anything I missed. Uh, I definitely want to ask you about, uh, you know, your Hunter's Hub business and, and let people know where to find you and everything. But, uh, any other things you can think of that I'm forgetting? Any other, you know, commonly asked questions that you get that I haven't asked yet? Um, price is major one. Um, the travel. I mean, you've pretty much nailed all the major questions. There's always, like, some odds and ends questions that will come up, you know. Uh-huh. You know how that is. Yeah. But the majority, you hit most of the questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just say people, you know, like, obviously, like, when it comes to prices, people just research research what you're wanting to go after. Mm-hmm. Um, do some do some research. Do your homework because there are – there's everywhere you go, even here in North America, there's great outfitters and there's really bad outfitters. Mm-hmm. You need to just make sure that you're going to go, especially if this is going to be a once in a lifetime, one time trip for you. Like don't ever think you'll go back. You're going to be spending your hard earned money regardless. So make sure you're spending it with somebody that you're going to enjoy the trip. And, and you're going to be at the end of the trip saying, yeah, that was well worth it. Or you're at the end of the trip saying, yep, I'm coming back no matter what it costs. I'm going to figure out how to make you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I did think of one more that uh, you brought up at the beginning. It was, I think, it was one of your three uh, deals. Um, we didn't talk about like the length of these trips. Um, obviously, you know, they're all going to be a little bit different. But um, you know, how many days of hunting are some of these trips? Uh, and then, you know, days of travel on each end. Like, if you go to Africa, can you do you need to count for two days of travel on each side, three days of travel? Um, talk about just kind of the time commitment. Yeah, perfect. Um, so I got a trip coming up in April in South Africa that's going to require me three days of travel, two days on the front end and one day on the back end. Um, the reason 
there's three there's two days in the front is because when I get to South Africa, the plane to um, to Port Elizabeth, I've already missed all those flights. So typically, I would say you're doing two to three days of travel, depending on the date, time zones, and everything. You when you get there, um, like when you go to when you come back to New Zealand, let's put New Zealand. When you leave New Zealand, you get back home the same day mm. that you left. It's kind of weird just because yeah. of how far ahead of us they are. Uh-huh. And then, you know, so a lot of times in Africa, I would say it's typically two days. A lot of times, three, two as well, travel wise. Um, and then a lot of people. Like when you get back home, you might want to have like a second day home. Like, so you got two days in the front, two days in the end. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people when you get home, you're going to be up the entire night. And if you got to show up at work the next day, you're, you're going to be worthless. You know what I mean? Just because it's the jet lag of like the time jumping and all that, especially for your first trip. Like, you just like, you get home and you're like, man, I'm wide awake and it's three in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and then time wise on trips, most typical Africa safaris are between, um, especially South Africa and Namibia, are between five and ten days. Mm-hmm. When you start going and doing these other hunts, like I said, in Zambia, Tanzania, Uganda, those trips are more between the 10 and 21-day thing. You do have 28-day safaris. There is two, you know, you can go on a 30-day safari, but it's, there's nothing like it used to be where, you know, like Roosevelt men would go on, <laughs> you know, six-month safaris. Yeah. Like, I would love to do that, but that's not something you can do anymore. Right, right. Gotcha. Gotcha. So most hunts, like even Asia hunts, I would say, like on these Ibex hunts and stuff, they're they're on average most of your trips from the time you leave your house to the time you get back home are ten days. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's very. I mean, that's not that much uh, different than you know normal vacation. Some people would take with their families or you know hunting a week long yeah. hunting trip here. So awesome. All right. Well, uh, tell us about your business, uh, Hunter's Hub, and uh, what kind of services you provide people. Um, so, Hunter's Hub, I started kind of this kind of a pipe dream for me. Uh, I wanted to create a website for people to find information because, like we just talked about, a lot of people don't understand that Africa is affordable. A lot of people, the first thing they think of when you think of Africa, they're like, oh, that's a hundred thousand dollars. Like, no, that's not the case. Like, there's a lot of really affordable opportunities for people. Um, and like I said, we do oil and gas construction work. So we've had, I've, I've been around a lot of people um, and talked to a lot of different people that, you know, didn't know anything about hunting international. And, like, their idea was all this stuff, stupid expensive, all oh, that's not safe. Like, they even thought South Africa was not safe to go to. Um, so what I want to do is build a website and give people the information they need. And when, when on, on Hunter's Hub, the out, only outfitters that we promote, that we post about, that we share, that we send people on, they're outfitters that I have personally been with. And I only allow three or like four other friends to tell me these outfitters are good because they've hunted everywhere. Two of them are Weatherby Award winners. Like they've hunted everywhere, done everything, and they know what a good camp is like. Mm-hmm. So when you go to a place that's promoted by Hunter's Hub, you're going to a place that the food's good, the camp's good like the accommodations, um, the staff is great and the experience is going to be a good time. And it's all depending on what you're going to hunt. Obviously, like if you're going to go do a mid-age Nibex hunt, most of the time you're not going to have a lot of fun because it's not that like, like it's more about going for the animal and the experience, but the camps right. are not that great. Yeah. It's, it's you're in a, a rough mountain hunt adventure type deal. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So it's all depending on what type of hunt you're going on, but we make sure it checks all the boxes. 
That way, you know, you're going there expecting this, and that's what you're getting. Uh, we make sure the outfitters are good, their staff's good, the food's good, all that's good. And then what we want to do is we want to bring those outfitters to the light because there is a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of good outfitters and a lot of bad outfitters. And what I've learned is no matter how cool your Instagram account looks, you know, you know how cool an outfitter's Instagram account looks, you could show up there and it could be a complete 360 from what you've seen on, you know, on the website and on their Instagram page. Because, you know, it's all about how people put themselves out there and not about their customer service nowadays. I think it's more based on customer service because I want you to be able to have the best experience ever. And some of the guys we use have the worst websites and the worst Instagrams because they don't know how to do that stuff because all they do is hunt their, like, PHs or guys. Like, that's what they're capable of doing, and that's what they like to do. So it's kind of like don't judge a book by its cover because sometimes you judge, oh, it's like, oh, this is a great Instagram, great website, and you get there and it's a horrible experience. Or you look at this one and say, oh, that's a horrible website. They don't have much on there. I don't know about that. Or their Instagram looks bad and you don't book the hunt, but that could have been your experience that you liked. Mm -hmm. So what we want to do is bring that information to people and promote the good top quality outfitters. We wanted to bring them um, to bring our members because it's a membership-based service. You pay a yearly fee for that, a one-time yearly fee. And when you pay that, you get access to these outfitters. But on top of that, we do members-only packages. So like our South Africa guys, they will create packages that are just for our members that they can't – you can't call them and book the same package if you're not a Hunter Sub member. Mm -hmm. You can go do the other – you can do all the animals mm -hmm. if you're not a member, but you won't get the same price benefit as you would booking as a hunter's hub member so we do that we work with top quality companies and we do gear giveaways um every month with you know grizzly sticks we do stuff with first form companies like that that we work with that we want to make sure people are getting the best gear that we can possibly give them along the way but we also give away the hunt every month we give away a minimum of two hunts mm -hmm. and we're doing the same thing we're giving them away with these top quality outfitters that we are personally going, sending people with, personally sending friends with, and we would personally hunt with ourselves. Awesome. Awesome, man. Sounds great. Uh, and I definitely want to give you a chance to shout out, uh, you know, your Instagram and websites and everything. But real quick, if you got time, uh, I want to hear one story. Uh, you know, if I was going to say, hey, McKenzie, um, I'm thinking about going on an international hunt, tell me a story that would just push me over the edge and make me have to go. Oh. Man, that's a hard. Yep. Okay, you can pick, like I'll have to give you the pick Asia or Africa. Um, just for the sake of it, I'm going to go Asia. Okay, we'll go with Asia. So I'll go. I'll tell you my. Um, I'll tell you my trip to Azerbaijan. So we get to Azerbaijan. It's super late. Um, some of my buddy's stuff didn't arrive. My all of my stuff, were, you know, got there. My clothes, my gun, some of his stuff didn't arrive. We get there super late. We get in the car. And I live in, you know, Wyoming here. There's, you know, it's country bumpkins out here. And we're driving down the road. And I, the first time I ever saw a Lamborghini, <laughs> like driving down the road, this Lamborghini comes cruising by because apparently they have a massive Lamborghini Baku store um, showroom. So anyways, and we get there and like all these cars, are just like there's some fancy cars. That, like it's just like or did we come hunting? This place is incredible. And so we stayed the night. My buddy's stuff arrived the next morning. And then we started driving to, to the, the let-off point where we'd start hiking and riding the horses. And on the way there, there was kids on the side of the road. They were selling watermelons. They were selling, like, picked nuts, like, all this stuff. It was just crazy, like, the culture there. It was green. It was warm. Like, it was just, like, 
when you got there, you're just like, where am I? Because it was so cool because, like, you know, one, there's expensive sports cars driving around, but there was, like, just kids on the side of the road, like, super happy to be selling watermelons. Um, we stopped at this, like, kind of roadside cafe type deal that served tea because in a lot of those countries you drink a lot of tea. And it was, like, you almost felt like you're in some magical fairy tale thing because it was, like, some little forest and you expected, like, some little leprechaun or something to come out of it because it was just, like, you're just sitting there and it's, like, this little forest with, like, this little cafe thing in the middle of it. It was all open, though, making tea. And so then we get to where we get on the horses and we start start riding in. So we have to stop at a checkpoint because you're right on the the border of russia and they have to check everything and whatnot and so the kid there was like kind of the guard kid kind of was thought he was better than his ranking and so he was like trying to give us some crap so one of the head guys that we were with called somebody and the kid got a phone call and that was the last question he asked us and he let us by <laughs> um so we started in. but it's just like it's super green the weather's nice you're riding on horses and you're just right at this river bottom drainage and looking at these mountains next to you that are just straight up and down, some of the steepest mountains in the world. And it was just an incredible experience because, like I said, we took up two live chickens with us. We had fresh vegetables, all sorts of stuff, and we stayed in, like, a little – we had a little stone building that was, like, our cookhouse. We stayed in tents next to it. But it was just, like, you couldn't believe that you were on a sheep hunt or some sort of, like, a, like kind of like a dangerous hunt i guess because you're hunting some of the most dangerous mountains in the world because it's just so steep you you fall you're done but it's just like the grass was green the weather was nice like it was just a magical trip because when i went to alaska on two sheep hunts or alaska and british columbia it's rained every day on me it was just miserable weather like i didn't have like a lot of fun but i was having fun on this trip because it was just the people are friendly with you they're talking to you and it's just the culture experience that you get on this thing was just outstanding. Then when we shot the tour, it was just an amazing time. We got some pictures in some of the most rugged mountains that you'll ever get into. And then went back. And we had like our meal in the middle of nowhere because we took all this fresh produce and fresh meat with us. And the cook stayed in camp the whole time and just fed us well. <laughs> awesome, man. Ah, uh, man, that uh, definitely brings a picture, uh, not a picture, just a, an experience to mind. It sounds awesome. So, Well, I feel like I've kept you long enough. Um, you want to give a quick uh, shout-out to all your social media pages and websites and stuff? Yeah, sure. So my personal one is Mackenzie Sims, but it's Mackenzie underscore underscore Sims. Um, and then the Hunter's Hub account is Hunters with a Z dot hub. And that's our Instagram. There's a fake one that's Hunters Hub Official, so don't follow that one. <laughs> Ours is just hunters.hub. Um, you can find us on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, Snapchat, uh, Facebook. I don't know what else. And then same with Hunters Hub. You can find it on um, Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff at Hunters Hub. We do upload a lot of YouTube videos on my personal YouTube channel. We've kind of been converting everything over there and that's just mckenzie sims as well and so yeah i mean i appreciate anyone that wants to follow along um always message me and ask me any any questions you want about this international stuff um it's kind of like my my niche here like i love it i love hunting here in the states but i focus a lot more on international stuff so if you have any questions feel free to to message me on any of those platforms and we'll just i'll help you out and do what i can to give you some best information possible and thanks for letting me on the podcast man i've really enjoyed it of course, man. This has been awesome. Like I said, kind of out of the box for me and uh, I think for my listeners too. So, uh, yeah, we've really enjoyed it and I really appreciate you coming on. 
Well, I appreciate it, sir, and thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Thank you. And that's a wrap. Thank you, Mackenzie, for coming on. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you all enjoyed that one. I know I sure did. Last time, I'm going to tell you guys this uh, this weekend, this coming weekend, is the Backwoods Show in Oklahoma City. My hats came in, so I will have hats and shirts for sale. Um, and even if you don't want to buy something from me, please just come introduce yourself. Um, I love meeting you guys. Uh, tell me where you're from. Tell me what you uh, you know got this year. Just come by the booth, meet me. I love to meet you guys. I'll be there all three days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, so come check out the booth, and also just come check out the show. You know, I really enjoy this show. You got people from all over the state, really all over the country. Um, you got hunters, you got fishermen, trappers, archery guys, rifle guys. Just a great time. So bring the family. Come hang out in Oklahoma City for a couple days. I will be there, and uh, and again, please come introduce yourself because I'd love to meet you guys. So that's going to do it for this week. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, hopefully I'll see you this coming weekend, and until next time, guys, I will see you guys right back here on the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast.